All right, if you want to make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. All right. All right, guys, so as you know, uh, the India team is gone. I'm going to be covering for Pastor Ross tonight. And uh, tonight we're going to be studying Daniel chapter 4. So we're going to stick with the Old Testament in the spirit of Wednesday evening. And uh, while, you're, while you're turning there in your Bibles, I'll open us with a word of prayer. So Lord, we know that your word is living and active. We study your word, Lord, because it is your word from heaven given to men, Lord, who are carried along by the Holy Spirit. We know that your word is straight like a plumb line, Lord God, and we can level our lives by it. It corrects us, it rebukes us, it trains us for righteousness and good works, Lord. We just ask that for this evening, Lord. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so Daniel chapter four. If you're not familiar with the story, we're gonna be talking about King Nebuchadnezzar tonight. It's a pretty exciting story because King Nebuchadnezzar, who's a really bad guy, he ends up getting saved, all right? And he's going to write his testimony. It's an entire chapter, and he's the only Gentile to write a portion of scripture in the entire Old Testament. So really exciting. All right, so a little bit of a background on King Nebuchadnezzar, if you're not familiar with him. Uh, what it's, what's going on in this time with the nation of Israel is they've been divided into two nations as part of their judgment for disobeying God. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had been wiped out by the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom was disobeying God, was chasing after idols, and God had warned them and said, you know what? You are going to go into exile for 70 years. And he sent prophets to give him warnings. And he said, you know what? King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire, he's going to come and take you back to Babylon. Well, they didn't believe. And as the story goes, as we see here, King Nebuchadnezzar prevails. God hands over his people, the southern kingdom known as Judah. He hands them over to Nebuchadnezzar as their punishment. And off they go into exile for 70 years. Now, this is the first time we see King Nebuchadnezzar. I mentioned before, he wasn't a very nice guy. We would call him a bad guy in kids' church. This was a bad guy. He was really ruthless. I mean, he, he conquered the entire known world at that time. He was not afraid of any king. He was not afraid of anyone. He would kill people like that. He didn't care. That's who he was. And everything, every time he's talking about something, it ends with a threat hey, go over there and do this for me, or uh, I'm going to wipe you out and destroy your whole house. I mean, he does stuff like this. This is how we have what he's like. Um, so it's really incredible that he would get saved. And so that's, that's the first time we see his entrance is, is hauling off the people to Babylon, right? Uh, then along with those people that are taken away in exile, we meet the other character who's in this story. We meet a man named Daniel. Now, Daniel was a righteous man, Okay, he had determined to follow the Lord no matter what. Even though they were going to exile and everyone else was saying, well, we got what we deserved, I guess now it's really over. There's no more temple, no more sacrifices, you know, let's, you know why follow God anymore? 
Let's just endure the punishment and do whatever we want. Well, Daniel said no. He resolved, him and his three friends, they resolved to follow God even though they were in exile. And we see Nebuchadnezzar have a troubling dream one night. It says he awoke and he was troubled. And he summoned all the wise men of Babylon to come before him and explain this dream to him. The problem was he didn't tell him the dream. So no one could interpret it, obviously. They said, this is insane. This is a bizarre request. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I see nothing wrong with it. I think the problem's you guys, and I'm just going to kill all of you. I mean, that's what he said. It's the kind of guy he was. He was ruthless. And so Daniel, who was taken into the king's service and was rising up the ranks and was becoming uh, one of the Babylonian wise men, well, he prayed to God. He said, give me some more time. Let me beseech my God. Let me ask him to reveal this to me. And God does. And he goes before Nebuchadnezzar and he says, don't kill anyone yet. Hold on. Here's the dream. And he, he proceeds to tell this dream. And God was showing Nebuchadnezzar in this first dream the kingdoms that would come in the world. He was telling Nebuchadnezzar the future before it happened. He said, look, Nebuchadnezzar, in your dream you saw a giant statue, okay? And the head of it represents your kingdom. And the head was made of gold. And then he goes forth and he says, and then after you will come another kingdom, the chest, and then another kingdom will come. And then another kingdom. And then finally, God's kingdom is going to come. He's going to crush all the other kingdoms and his kingdom will be eternal. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was shocked that Daniel could interpret the dream. He says, surely your God is the most high God, Daniel, because he could reveal this to you. And he said, surely he's the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. So King Nebuchadnezzar didn't really get it. He understood God revealed this dream to him, but he still had a problem with his heart. He didn't turn to the living God. So he, he's thinking about that dream and going, I'm the head of gold, and then there's going to be other kingdoms after me? I don't think so. So he makes a giant statue out of gold. 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and it was really him telling God, I don't think so. My kingdom's gonna last forever. I'm the greatest thing that ever was. Okay, so he builds this whole thing, he commands everyone and the entire kingdom to bow down and worship it. And there in the crowd were Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they refused to bow. So next we see King Nebuchadnezzar get a little angry, as if he wasn't before. He was always angry. But he always got his way. He was the king. No one told him no, ever. No one ever told him no. They were afraid to tell him no. And so he has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego brought before him, and he says, now hear this. If you don't bow to my statue and worship it, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And then what God is going to save you then? And they said, hey, that's fine. Us, I want to let you know, our God, the most high God, he is able to save us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to your statue. And so at hearing that, that's the first time in scripture we see anyone rise up to Nebuchadnezzar. And he was furious. He was angry. He was so angry, he jumped up and he commanded that they be thrown into the fire immediately. He said, right now, throw them into the fire. And he says, heat it up seven times hotter. 
extraordinarily hot. And so they get cast into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar's sitting there. His rage is dying down a little bit, right? And he looks, and they're not burning up. How inconvenient for him. He looks in there, and he sees a fourth man. He says, wait a minute, didn't we throw three guys in? He's the kind of guy that can't even remember how many guys you've thrown into the fire. That's how ruthless he is, right? He goes, wait, this time we threw in three, right? Okay, how come I see four in there? And how come they're not burning up? How come they can resist my rule? How come they can resist my authority? I'm King Nebuchadnezzar. And they're not burning. Well, the fourth person, he describes with his own mouth, best he can, he says, the fourth person, he, he looks like a son of the gods. All right, come out of there. Hey, you guys, come out, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fiery furnace. They're saved, and they don't smell like smoke. None of their hair is even singed. And he goes, wow, impressive, guys. Okay, all right, hey, your God, he's awesome. He's awesome, and you know what? I'm gonna do something for you. I'm gonna send out a decree to the whole kingdom and tell them that no one can say anything bad about the Most High God, about your God. And if they do, I'm gonna tear them limb from limb. <laughs> All right, so you guys getting a picture of what Nebuchadnezzar was like? I mean, even on his good days, he was a bad guy. <laughs> All right, so um, his famous line in that last story was, you know, what other God can deliver like this, right? Well, we're going to see, because now King Nebuchadnezzar is going to tell his testimony right after the fiery furnace. It did take place several years later, scholars believe, but it's the next portion in scripture. So let's look at Daniel chapter 4, starting at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. We're gonna stop there. This decree is going out over the whole kingdom. The, the exiles from Judah are reading this. The Babylonians are reading this. And their first thought is, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? His, his response here is, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, to everyone, what's up? Just wondering how you guys are doing. I hope, you, I hope everything's fine. I mean, that's how this is starting out here. And they're going, <laughs> his last decree was he's going to rip us limb from limb. And now he's asking how we're doing. That's, something's changed. What's going on here? You've got my attention. Let's go forward. Well, now Nebuchadnezzar is going to proceed to tell everyone the story. He goes, I'm going to talk about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has done, not for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not for Daniel, but has done for me, for me. We're going to see the change here. This is where it starts. Starting at verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So he starts off saying, okay, this is what was happening. It was a day just like any other day. You know, um, I was in my palace. I was content. I was prosperous. The two things that the world says will make you happy, security, the palace, the fortress on the greatest kingdom of the world at that time. I was in there and I had money and I was prosperous and everything was fine. 
The world says that's peace. That's what will give you peace and happiness, those two things. But we see here a problem. It was a false peace because it was shattered as God sent him a dream. And now we're gonna see King Nebuchadnezzar afraid. So let's look into that. He has this dream, and then in verse six, so naturally, I commanded that the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. So he does the first thing that comes to his mind. He calls everybody else, everybody else. He calls them, hey, come interpret this for me, all right? This, the first dream he had, which is a chapter and a half back, that troubled me, you know? It was like, should I go to sleep or should I figure this out? You know, it was troubling. All right, this one is terrifying. This one I have to know right now. You better tell me. And the first place he goes is to his magicians and to literally all the knowledge of the world at that time is what that represents. He's going there first. Where do you go? Where do you go first? When something big happens, when you're terrified, where do you go first? Notice the problem they have. They can't interpret the dream. Silence. They don't even try. They, they've got no answers. They've got no explanation for the dream that God has given to Nebuchadnezzar. And so, verse eight, we're gonna see what happens next. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is writing this saved. He's writing a portion of scripture. We know that no scripture has its origin in man, but men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna see how accurate he becomes and how detailed he is. And he's saying, listen, finally, Daniel came. His name's Daniel, all right? That's, that's his name to honor God. Daniel means God is my judge. And he comes. Now, in the story, I'm going to call him Belteshazzar because, you see, back then, I changed his name after the God I was following because I thought he was better. All right? So I want to tell you exactly what came out of my mouth as it happened, but I want you to know that his name is Daniel. Verse 9. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you. That, that phrase there in Aramaic, spirit of the holy gods, can also mean the Holy Spirit of God. So keep that in mind. And no mystery is too difficult for you. So here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying on my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying on my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven 
and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes and he sets over them the lowliest of men. Now this is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the Spirit of God is in you. So we've seen a really interesting dream. This was different than the dream he had before. And it's funny because God was trying to get his attention in the first dream that he gave him. He was saying, your kingdom is gonna last forever, hence, you're not gonna live forever, okay? So now he's going back to square, God's going back to square one and saying, we're gonna give you another dream. Here's another dream for you, okay? Same thing happens, he calls all the wise men, right? Then Daniel comes and what do you know? Only Daniel can interpret the dream. Now he doesn't know what the dream means. He can't figure it out and none of his wise men can either. But what he knows is that he's terrified. He's feeling conviction. He knows that it's about him he knows that it's serious. It's coming from heaven, okay? And he knows it's probably not good news. So he, he wants to know, what is it? What is God telling me here? What is going on here? And this brings us to our first point. God is able to reveal. So now Daniel, as he's hearing this, we're gonna see how he responds. Verse 19, then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And so, as Daniel's standing here listening to this dream, God's giving him the interpretation, and his face is changing so much that the king can see it and go, oh, you know, I know you know. Tell me, I know, because you're terrified. You're terrified of this dream. You better tell me, tell me. Now, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the kind of king that you'd wanna give bad news to, all right? So he just, he, that's, that's not one of the exciting things that Daniel gets to do here, because he's gotta give him some bad news. Um, but the good thing is that Daniel, he fears God. He realizes that God is the real king, the true, the most high king. And he's gonna honor him even in this, but his thoughts are terrifying him. He's going, I can't believe this is gonna happen. I can't believe God is gonna do this. So let's see what he says. So Belteshazzar answers, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies in its meaning to your adversaries. So what he's saying is, boy, I wish I had good news to tell you. That would have been way better than this. Have you ever had to do that? You ever had to tell somebody bad news? You're like, gosh, if I could just change the names in the story, it would be good news. <laughs> but it's bad news. It's bad news. But a friend and a man of God will tell you the truth, good news or bad news. They fear God only. I mean, I remember one time when I was working in a job and uh, I was supervisor for a transportation company uh, over the weekend and I had five trucks I had to watch out for, so I was in the back of one making deliveries and I had a driver driving me around. And uh, you know, I really wanted to do a really good job for my boss. 
And I didn't want to bug him. It was his day off. I wanted to call him with good news at the end of the day, tell him all the deliveries were made, everything was fine, and, and uh, we got back on time, and you know, just, wow. I was really looking forward to that. Well, about an hour into the day, one of our trucks broke down in Vallejo, okay? And so I had to call my boss and tell him, and he wasn't happy. We had to call people you know, on their days off to come in and go with the tow truck to pick up the truck and bring it back and take another truck and make the deliveries. And I just remember going, ah, oh, gosh, it wasn't my fault, but I feel horrible, you know? And uh, so as I'm on the phone in the back of my delivery truck, my driver's driving, uh, I'm on the phone with another supervisor who's in the tow truck, and I hear the loudest noise I've ever heard in my life, and everything goes dark. And I look up, and we are stuck underneath the parking garage in Cottingtown, Santa Rosa. <laughs> and the first thing that goes through my mind is, we're going to die. It sounded like the thing was coming down on top of it. You're in a steel truck? I mean, that's crazy. Uh, but we realized that, you know, it was okay. We were just stuck. But then the next thing that went through my mind that was honestly just as terrifying is, how am I going to tell my boss? <laughs> that two of the five trucks that I was in charge of are done. Oh, I remember making that call. It was horrible. You know, God must feel like that a lot. Think about it. Think of the news he has to give us that, honestly, we bring on ourselves. He's got to give us the truth because he knows it will help us. He knows it will set us free. But gosh, how he must wish just to have good news to tell you, and we'll get more into that later. Okay, so the dream. Daniel's going to interpret the dream. Here's what it means. Verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves, abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air, you, O king, are that tree. You become great and strong, and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. So God's given him another vision. You're the tree, Nebuchadnezzar. God changed up a little bit how he was going to symbolize this. The statue, which was man-made, Nebuchadnezzar goes, that's right, I'm king, I made myself this. God goes, now you're a tree. I make the trees. And he's signifying, I made you king. I've given you this position. And Nebuchadnezzar did not want to hear that. He was a self-made man. He said, no, I'm the greatest person that ever lived, and my kingdom's going to last forever. And no, I was the one that conquered all those places. But in Scripture, even with Judah, we see God goes, no, I handed them over to you. Okay, so a couple other interesting things here in this dream. You'll notice that as he's described as a tree, he's reaching up to the top of the sky. And this is really to show his pride. His pride. He was this big, huge, awesome king. And look at all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air that depended on him. And he saw himself as greater than them because they depended on him. And God's going to show him a little bit on, on what's going on. So uh, let's read further. Verse 23, you, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump, 
bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. Well, this is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree that the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You're going to be driven away from people and you're going to live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes. So we're going to stop there because that's some bad news for him. Uh, it's interesting. When God gives this word to him, it's to warn him. It's to tell him what's going to happen. He has the chance to turn and repent, which we're going to see here. But you'll notice that when God uh, moves, and when he takes a step and he disciplines or punishes, it is calculated. It isn't careless like Nebuchadnezzar. And in this whole Division, you are going to see the difference between God as the king of kings and Nebuchadnezzar as king. Ruthless, gracious, mighty, most mighty. And, and this is what's so fascinating. You see, every part of this was hand-tailored for Nebuchadnezzar. And I'll show you how. He said, look, it's going to start out like this. You're going to be driven away from people. Okay, you're going to be by yourself. I don't think he liked being by himself. Okay? He liked being around people. He liked being told how great he was. He liked people looking, oh, all hail the king. Hey, it's Nebuchadnezzar. He liked that. So God's taken that away from him. He says, look, all right, we're going to cut down the tree. Now, literally, that's like God almost uh, playing on Nebuchadnezzar's favorite saying. We're going to tear you limb from limb. Your tree's coming down, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And then he says, look, this is going to happen for seven times. Now, that means in Daniel, the other word used for times in Daniel is years. So it most probably means seven years. Could have been one year. That's not the kind of guy Nebuchadnezzar was. No. Just like Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, throw him in the fire, fire, fiery furnace and heat it up seven times hotter. That word means exceedingly hot. This is the kind of punishment he needed. Exceedingly. It's got to go on long this is Nebuchadnezzar. This is what, what is, it's going to take. It's going to be a serious punishment. And so here is the warning. And the reason that all this is happening is because you need to realize that I'm the king. That I have raised you up, Nebuchadnezzar. And the pride in your heart isn't going to work. So verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. That's awesome. God's going, hey, I could wipe you out, but I'm not going to. No, because he cares about people, even guys like Nebuchadnezzar. All right, he's going to discipline him. But he says, look, when you cry out, he gives him, he goes, hey, this is what I'm looking for. When you acknowledge that heaven rules, not you, when you acknowledge that I'm God, not you. When you acknowledge that I made you, not you. Then it's going to end, and I am going to give you back your kingdom. Well, look at what Daniel says here. After he's interpreted this whole dream, 
Nebuchadnezzar is no doubt in a state of shock. And look at what Daniel says, verse 27. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. This was his suggestion. Hey, repent. Turn away from what you're doing. God's not pleased, okay? God is not pleased. This is the same message that God gave Jonah to take to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. The enemies that, that wiped out the northern kingdom, God sent a prophet to go to that city. And Jonah, in the book of Jonah, you won't find the word repent, which is interesting. Jonah just goes and declares a punishment. Hey, 40 days, God's wiping you out. I'm out of here, right? And they figure it out. They believe him and go, oh no, they're convicted. That terrifyingness that comes, right? Just like in the dream here, they're terrified. And they go, well, maybe if we stop and we repent, maybe God will have mercy on us. And he does. It's awesome. This is the God we serve. I mean, so Daniel's giving him, hey, look, maybe if you, if you turn, okay, maybe God won't let this happen. And in Ezekiel, God's confirmed that also. He says, Ezekiel, when I give you a command to go and prophesy on someone and say, hey, because you did this, God is going to bring this punishment, if they turn, then I won't bring the punishment. You think that's fair, Ezekiel? You think that's fair? Because he wants us to turn. That is God's whole point in all of this, for us to turn. Notice how he says, hey, look, Nebuchadnezzar, turn and be kind to the oppressed. Well, the exiles were the ones that were being oppressed, okay? And this is what scripture says. Look at this at Proverbs 14.31. I'll read it to you. He who opposes the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. See, all sin is sin against God. You can't, it, they weren't Nebuchadnezzar's people. Hey, they're, they're my exiles, you know? God's like, no, no, they're mine. I've given them into your hand. Turn from that and be kind to the oppressed. Well, we're gonna see what happens here, okay? We've seen how God revealed the dream. He revealed the interpretation and he even reveals the key out, the way out, repentance, Okay, and we're going to see what Nebuchadnezzar does. Nothing. There's nothing recorded. He does nothing. Just like all of his wise men in Babylon, nothing they could say. Nebuchadnezzar says nothing. Nothing good, nothing bad. No falling on his knees for repentance. He says nothing. He goes about business as usual. You know, the terrified uh, state that he was in is gone, all right? And he goes, you know what? I don't believe this. I don't believe it. So look at verse uh, 28 here. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. I'm gonna pause there for a second. Notice all the significance there. He's being built up in his pride. He's a different man than he was a year ago. He's more prideful. He's, you know, a year has gone by. God's given him a year to repent, and he hasn't. He's gotten more prideful, all right? And he says, uh, it's the royal palace of Babylon. What, what that's saying is, look, Babylon is the greatest kingdom in all the world. 
and the royal palace is the greatest house in all of Babylon. So he's on the best of the best. Okay, and what is up with kings being on their roofs getting in trouble? <laughs> right? I'm sure you can think of a few. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the royal palace and he's looking around. And we're going to see what happens in a moment. But it's just like King David, as he was on his royal palace, he was walking around. And he looks off and he gets caught in adultery. You know, what this really symbolizes is this is all the world has to offer. Drink it up, breathe it in. All right, then we see the sin coming out of that. Even Jesus, when he was tempted in Matthew 4 by the devil himself, the devil takes him to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'll give you all this. Look at their splendor, it says. Look at their splendor. I'll give you all of it. Just worship me. <laughs> that was his last temptation. Away, Satan. Worship the Lord your God only. Serve him only. So all the world has to offer, the best the world has to offer, right? That's what Nebuchadnezzar's in, and he is eating it up, and he starts worshiping his works. And we'll see the pride of his heart. Let's read. He says, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence? It's all by my power and for the glory of my majesty. See, what has happened is God has shown him the pride in that dream. And pride, like any sin, starts in the heart and it works its way out. You know, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, a mouth speaks, Matthew 12, 34. It's funny because the world always says what? What do you follow? Follow your heart. Follow your heart, right? Follow your heart, Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, follow your heart. You got, a, you got a great thing going. The Bible says the heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9. When they ask Jesus, hey, what do we eat or not eat that defiles us? Isn't this true? He says, you're missing the point. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and that's what defile a man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. And these are what defile a man. That's Matthew 15, 18 through 20. The world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, your heart's the problem. Don't follow your heart. He says, follow me. Follow me. So Nebuchadnezzar's on top of his kingdom and He's following his heart right into pride. He's acknowledging how great he is. And then in verse 31, it says, while the words were still on his lips, a voice comes from heaven. See, pride has conceived here. And it talks about pride being conceived, in, or sin being conceived, rather, in James chapter one, verse 14. I'll read it to you. It says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So right as the words are rolling off his mouth, beautiful, beautiful, me, me, my kingdom, my kingdom, voice comes from heaven, caught in the act. And guess what God's gonna say? 
He says, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't used to getting decrees. He was used to issuing them. (laughs) Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and you're going to live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Let's bring this to our second point. God is able to remove. We're going to see that he's going to remove the big thing, right? The pride of Nebuchadnezzar, which is stored in his heart. But he's going to do that by removing his sovereignty. He's going to uh, remove his sanity. And he's going to remove him from society. He's going to take him away from everything else so that God can do some serious work on this guy. Okay? Next verse says, 33, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. Just as immediate as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace. God doesn't do anything by mistake. This is all happening. He was driven away from people and he ate grass like cattle. Mm. I don't imagine that would be very good. <laughs> you know, Psalm 103:15 says, as for man, his days are like grass. They, he flourishes like a flower of the field and then the wind comes and blows it and it's gone. The last thing on his mouth was pride, all about me. Next thing on his mouth was grass. God's saying, you're not gonna live forever. <laughs> What are you thinking? Now look what happens to him as this goes on. Seven years, mind you, seven. Seven years this is going to happen. It says he's driven away from people, just like God said. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Birds, beasts, that's what was in his dream. That's what was finding shelter in King Nebuchadnezzar's tree, right? King Nebuchadnezzar was providing for all these people, he thought. Now the tree is gone, and we're seeing that God is providing for Nebuchadnezzar. He's giving him dew from heaven. He's giving him grass to eat. So Nebuchadnezzar's learning the hard way, but he's learning. Okay, so now he's depending on God, and this is my favorite part of the story. Point three, God is able to restore At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar repents. Repents the willingness in his heart. He goes, okay, okay, you're God. He just looks up and God knows because God sees the heart. He looks up. Like God says, look, come with me with a heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll trade you. I will fix your heart. That's the problem. Your heart. Not trying to fix the outside. Even if Nebuchadnezzar shut his mouth, he still would be prideful. That had to be fixed and that's something that only God can fix and that's only when we let him. God wants to. He will. Let him, let him in. So immediately, the first thing out of his mouth, again, remember, last thing he ever spoke that we have record of, how great I am. 
<laughs> Next thing we have spoken, how great thou art. <laughs> right? That's a sign of a changed heart. When he's your God, you praise him. When he's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, you issue decrees. You do nice things. When he's your God, you praise him. And it just comes out naturally, as natural as the pride comes out. Here comes this love for God that's being poured into his heart, and he's sharing it with the whole world. He's so excited. And, and what's funny is the way he's praising God now is exactly how he used to praise himself. He used to think, you know, my kingdom's going to last forever. Who else is like me? Right? I can do whatever I want, and no one can stop me. And now look at what he says in his praise. Hey, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that his sanity was restored, my glory, correction, my sanity was restored, my glory and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. So God changed his mind, he removed his sanity, and then he was able to change it back. He was able to restore him a changed mind. That's what repentance means changing the mind. That's what he needed. He's God, I'm King Nebuchadnezzar. He's up there, he's the Most High, I'm over here. He didn't get that. Now he gets it. And what happens? God blesses him, just like he said he would, restores him back to his kingdom. That whole prophecy would have been ruined if God didn't give him back the kingdom. But God does it. It's just like the story of the prodigal son. The son comes out, and ironically, as the words are coming out of his mouth of repentance, Father, I've sinned, I'm sorry, I don't deserve to be your son. As he's speaking, the father is giving orders, uh, quick, go you know, kill the fattened calf and get a gold ring and put it on his finger. That's what God's like. God accepts us back as a son or a daughter. Wow, when we come to serve him, that's incredible. Now he's gonna end here. He's gonna end this decree that's gone out to the exiles, that's gone out to his own people who are wondering by this time what has happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Now he's gonna say, verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. In those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That was a sign in wonder that God showed him. Guess what? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, I can save, I can save my people from the fiery furnace. That's cool. That didn't convince Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't interested. He wasn't worth willing to leave his kingdom for that kind of a God. But the sign in wonder, he was able to humble me. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest man in the world. God can humble me. That's incredible. And this is what he wants everyone to know. This is the message that he wants to go out. God is able. God is able. Nebuchadnezzar, to the exiles, God is able. He gave the exiles a promise too, just like this. The exiles from Judah had a promise. Hey, in 70 years, you're gonna be returned. I'm gonna bring you back. I imagine reading this 
they were encouraged because God is able. He's able to reveal. He's able to reveal our weaknesses, our sins, just like he revealed it to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. He reveals it to us through his word, through scripture. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. God reveals it to us, and he's also able to remove. He can remove our hard heart and give us a heart that loves him. And out of that flows life and godliness. Out of the new heart he puts in us, and he pours out his love by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. That's incredible. That is what God is talking about. He's able to restore us after the surgery, bringing us back to him. He is able to restore us and put us where he wants us. A right relationship with him. It always means that he's the king of our lives. He is God. Do you realize that God is able. Abraham realized that. It says in Romans 4.21, talking about Abraham, the father of faith, fully assured, he was fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. That verse in Genesis. Because he figured God's able, he's God. And he puts his faith in God knowing he's able. We have a God who not only is able to do that, but that can do far more. Talking about Jesus, Hebrews 2.18, for since he himself was tempted and that he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. You have a God who is able. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25, talking about Jesus as our high priest. He lives forever. He is able. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, Jude 1, 24, God is able. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, Ephesians 3, 20, that will change your prayer life. You are, that's why we pray. We are praying to the God who is able. God is able. We are not able. We're not. In that story, in the first dream, we're the wise men. We're the wise men who couldn't interpret the dream. We're the wise men who, even at the threat of death, couldn't perform the king's command. In the second dream, we're King Nebuchadnezzar. We couldn't even really repent. Daniel represents Christ coming to us, begging us to repent bringing us to repentance. 
God knows we're not able. That's why he sent his son to die for us. Look at the difference between him and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to kill all the wise men because they couldn't answer his question. Because they weren't able. God, because we're not able, coming down and taking it for us. God doesn't ask that you be able. He asks that you be willing. God is able. He is more than able. My question to you is, are you willing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we serve the God who is able. We thank you for this encouraging word, Lord God, that you're not asleep, that your promises will come through. All these things will happen just like you said they would. Lord Nebuchadnezzar, in that, the reason he and every other believer opens up in praise is because when we know that you're at the wheel, we know that you're the most high God, and when we know who you are, that you love us, that you died for us, that's incredible. We can't help but praise you. Lord, be glorified and honored in this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the closing song.